0: So let's, um, Bobby, since you called out first, let's let's do the one you called out to start. And that is on page 7, number 17. Shimon Omer, Rabbi Shimon would say, which, what it means would say, as we talked about, that's just, Rabbi Shimon was known to say. This was one of his sayings. There are three crowns. The crown of Torah, the crown of priesthood, and the crown of royalty. But the crown of a good name surpasses them all. So, so the crowns, The crown of Torah—not literally a crown, but like to be a great scholar, you know, to be the the best, the to be a or the crown of priesthood in the ancient times—that meant to be the high priest. These were positions of great authority and honor, or the crown of royalty. But the crown of a good name surpasses them all. It's beautiful, isn't it? And the Hebrew of that is keter shem tov. So when we started doing our Annual uh, fundraising dinner to honor people. We called it the Quatercento, the crown of a good name. Mm. And uh, <sighs> yes, I think about that. And there's two things that occur to me. First of all, uh, is of course one's reputation as someone who's. Can be counted on, who's trustworthy, who. For the people I want to hang out with, that's the biggest thing, but also my integrity. For me to be as you know, the rabbis um, had a teaching about um, the. Um, it says when you build the ark to carry the tablets in the Torah, you know they have to build the build this. Boxes. The instructions are careful. Acacia wood. And then you, and then you cover it with uh, gold on inside and out. And into that you place the tablets. And so in a teaching moment, I don't know which, which sage said, why did they have to cover the inside with gold? Because um, uh, it had a lid on it all the time. And the answer was, as you might guess, so that uh, that just as a person, the inside and the outside should be the same. You shouldn't be a false front, um, but what's inside should be outside. Mm-hmm. Anybody else have anything they want to reflect on that one? You know, yeah,
1: and that's really just playing healthy. Healthy too. <laughs> your inside should match the outside. It's just otherwise you you're like this split.
2: mm mm-hmm. True.
3: Yes, Rob. Well, I, when I read this, I sort of felt it felt very democratic to me.
0: Democratic. Yes,
3: mm-hmm. it felt like, okay, there are these crowns, but for the rest of us, you know, we can have a good name, and we can aspire to having a good name, and we don't have to be
0: uh, president of the United States or whatever. Right. <laughs> um, you know, and it just felt very something we can all do. That's right. Anyone can, anyone can attain this crown. Mm -hmm. That's very nicely put. Good. Yes, Sasha.
4: Well, I just want to um, bring my father here today in that uh, just prior to this, a phone call came, and someone said that she found a very, very old letter my father had written when her father had died, and she said this letter was so touching, but it was so him. Mm -hmm. So it's like one's, you know, reputation. This is from 30 years ago, but to still be saying this is so him. It's just beautiful. After he passed. After uh, he passed in 2014, but this letter was written 30 years ago, and to bring, to bring it to today, that she's still holding this memory.
0: Holding him. his memory, yeah. and that his essence, yeah. because of that, yeah. is very much present in the world. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. Yes, Bobby.
5: I also thought about that with my dad, who had an eighth grade education. But at his funeral, so many people spoke of him as so kind and and little kindnesses that he performed. You know, he worked so many, many hours. uh, And it just When I when I saw this, I I could just oh, it made you think of your dad.
0: That's beautiful, that's beautiful. I guess a crown of a good name is also what you'd call a mench, right? Right. Uh huh. Yeah, and it doesn't matter what your station is. Mm hmm. Beautiful. Thank you. Well, I want to carry that with me. Sorry, I didn't say it first. Who, uh, who else wants to um, alert us to one? Yes, Dan, which one? Page 519. Okay, let's find it first. <laughs> ah, this is a beauty. This is one of my favorites. Page 5, number 19. Another teaching of Rabbi Akiva. Everything is foreseen, yet freedom of choice is granted. All is foreseen, and freedom of choice, oh, I wrote it twice. The world is judged with goodness, yet all depends on the preponderance of good deeds. Okay, so on Shavuot, I taught about Rabbi Akiva. In addition to Hillel, who we talked about last time, Hillel lived in the first century BCE. And if you remember, I was describing how his he, he rose to the top in such a way on the merit of this, of his his uh, person and his wisdom that he became the, the, the sort of the founding father of rabbinic Judaism. Akiva lived from the year, sometime around the year maybe 50 of the first century until about 135, so he lived a long life and was also an incredibly influential uh, uh, figure um, in um, the development of Judaism. Um, If you remember the stories, you might not know these stories, of course, but Akiva, in his origin story, and again, we have no idea if this is actually true or not, Right, uh, we just don't know. All we have are the stories about Akiva. So uh, it, it, some biographies have been written about Akiva, weaving all the stories together, and it's a biography of the figure that you that we know about from the stories told about it. We don't know anything about him for real. There's no statue, no photograph, no. But we do have lots of his teachings. In the story about, Ak- and you can infer what kind of person he was from his teachings. In the story of, the story of Akiva, he was an illiterate shepherd. And uh, he, um, uh, let's see, I'll, I'll mangle this. He, um, at, the, at the age of 40, he, his son was uh, learning the Hebrew alphabet, and he wanted to learn it, and he didn't think he could learn. But he looked at water dripping on a stone at a... At a um, public uh, fountain. And he saw how the stone had been worn away by the water. And he said, well, if the water can wear away this stone, then (laughs) it can work on my brain, too. (laughs) And it says he studied for many, many years and became the uh, greatest scholar of his generation. Mm -hmm. So that's a beautiful story in and of itself. Mm -hmm. There are stories about how Rabbi Akiva treated his wife in the most r- loving stories about men and women you could find in the Talmud. Um, and there are stories about Akiva, where he, it, I would call him the Zen master of rabbinic Judaism, because the wisdom he shares are, is paradoxical. It's confounding. It, and it, it, I call it crazy wisdom right? And this is a typical Akiva teaching. Everything, he was also a person, or oh, I have to say, so the other, the other stories about Akiva that, that are very strong um, are, um, I'm going to tell a couple. Uh, in one story, he um, uh, goes to a town to find lodging. And this is a classic motif you'll hear in other, many other traditions. And he, the, no, one will, no one will give him a place to stay. He winds up bedding down under a tree uh, with a lantern and his uh, uh, rooster. Um, in the middle of the night, a, um, a wind blows out the lantern. A fox takes off the, roost, takes the rooster away, and he's left there in the cold, sleeping, and he wakes up in the morning. When he learns that uh, the, be- the, the town that he was trying to lodge in has been overrun by uh, brigands. And um, his life has been saved because no one could see his lantern, no one could hear his rooster, and, and he says, you see, you never know.
2: <laughs>
0: this, too, is for the good. Right, 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 so this is a classic. Right, right, yeah. You know, To be this wise, you have to practice such a big perspective that the ups and downs of your life, you don't actually know. You don't actually know until you have hindsight. But you never have hindsight when it's happening, by definition. That's Akiva. Another incredibly powerful story of his is uh, that after the Jerusalem is destroyed, he and his colleagues are walking on the destroyed Temple Mount. And again, for those who aren't familiar with this, This is like the center of the universe, the place, God's house, the place where heaven and earth touch, the center of the Jewish world, everything, a ruin, right? That's a cataclysm, and they see a fox darting between the uh, ruins, and someone remembers a line from the prophets about the ruined house and foxes in the house and you know and they all start to weep and akiva starts to laugh and they say to him akiva have you lost your mind and he said well no if it was destroyed it can be rebuilt that's what the torah says hmm. now this is not the words of comfort you want to get say, <laughs> if you're if if you're like grieving something. This is, this is like a Zen master smacking you on the wrist. You, you, do you follow what I'm saying? Yeah. But Akiva is the real deal. Mm-hmm. Okay. Somehow, he's able to, to take this perspective on life with equanimity. And then, of course, the most famous story about him is about his martyrdom, which we hear about on Yom Kippur in the traditional liturgy. He um, he and his colleagues continue both to foment rebellion against Rome and to continue to teach Torah after the Romans had destroyed Jerusalem for many decades, uh, 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 even when the Romans outlawed the teaching of Torah. Right? There are stories about uh, secret codes they developed, ways of communicating, in the way any underground would. And they are captured and, and and they are sentenced to be executed publicly. And there are different versions of this story. Uh, and, uh, but they all have the same same um, uh, punchline. Uh, which is that, you know, the Romans were experts at gruesome public executions. It was big entertainment. Just think about the think about the gladiators, right? Um, and uh, this was a big part of this was a big part of what went on, not so distant past, 20th century. This was big entertainment in our country with lynchings, right? right. right. So it's not, you know. <laughs> so, um, uh, so this was an execution where they would uh, put someone over flames and actually flay their flesh and burn them alive. And um, Akiva, in the story about him, has this beatific smile on his face. And the Roman centurion in some, and his students in another, say to him, what is going on? And he said, well, all my life, I have wondered about the commandment to love God with all your heart, and all your soul, and all your strength. And I've loved God with all my heart and all my strength. But now I finally have the opportunity to love God with all my soul. And with that, he, he pronounced the Shema Yisrael. And on the word, God is one, he expired. That's the story. Amazing, huh? So we're talking about, we're talking about another level of consciousness that Akiva somehow occupies in the Jewish pantheon of, of of sages. Does that make sense, everybody? Mm -hmm. Um, Who can even accept death. Even accept death. As an opportunity to grow closer to God. And to, whatever. Okay. That's Akiva. Um, There are more stories like that. Uh, There's a story that the rabbis tell about Akiva. Who is the one who popularized, you know the, you remember the phrase, every jot and tittle, which means every tiny detail, it's like dotting your eyes and crossing your T's, so that comes from the Greek, from the Hebrew, uh, a jot is an iota, which is the Greek letter, which is equivalent to yud in Hebrew, the tiniest little letter, that's every yod, and the tittle, the titles are the, called the qatarim, the crowns that are on the letters of Torah manuscript. So when you write it, if you ever look at closely at the Torah scroll, you'll see that the letters have tiny little decorative crowns on them that are part of the tradition. But Akiva's position was that every jot and tittle in the Torah contained myriad, multitudes of new meanings. So that for him, interpreting Torah was a completely non-literal undertaking. But for him, the Torah was God's energy captured in print and waiting to be released by human insight and devotion. That's the kind of teacher he was. So there's another famous story about Akiva that Moses goes up to the top of Mount Sinai when he's there to receive the Torah, and enters the cloud, and there finds God tying crowns to the tops of the letters. (laughs)
2: Isn't
0: that a beautiful, like ribbons, tying little ribbons to the tops of the letters? And Moses says, why are you doing that? God says, well, in future generations, there will be a teacher named Akiva, who's going to be able to interpret each of these. Mm. (laughs) such an adept right? and the rest of the story is is deeply ironic and tragic, some of you know it Uh, Moses says, then why are you giving the Torah, no, Moses says, can I see this man? and God says okay, turn around, Moses turns around and finds himself in the back of the classroom of Akiva teaching, in the future where Akiva's students are, asking, are discussing and asking questions, and Moses cannot even understand what the students are talking about.
2: Uh-huh. Mm-hmm.
0: And he turns back to God and says, these guys are brilliant. Why are you giving the Torah to me? Mm-hmm. Give it to them. And God says, uh, so- silence. Such are my ways. This is the way I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. And then Moses says, well, what was this man's fate, this incredible Akiva? And God says, turn around. <laughs> and he sees Akiva being executed. Uh, okay. And he turns around, true to Moses, indignantly to God, and says, how, how could this be? A man of this spiritual you know, distinction and goodness. And God's answer is, and remember, these are the rabbis telling a story. God's answer is, silence. Such are my ways. In other words, inscrutable. You, sorry, human beings. You can't. You, I, you. So, but once again, Akiva's at the center of a story about life and death, about the rabbis' understanding that the, what they were doing with the Torah might have been inexplicable to the people who originally wrote the Torah. Right, the rabbis are aware of this. And that's a whole other class we can do on the fact that I, I, am, I will make the strong argument that the rabbis understood the irony of what they were doing. Uh, and that's another story. But, uh, uh, so that gives you a picture of Akiva. And you'll uh, again, forgive me if you've heard these stories many times, but if someone's new, they won't understand. Right. Who's saying this? And then it starts to make more sense. Esther?
5: I just wondered, is, is there... In all of the world religions, is there a mystery in each of them where you just can't touch it? You can't know it?
0: Uh, I think so. At least in the mystical, uh, yeah. in the mystical sort of... Um, every, every, every religious system has its, like, here's what you do to be a good person. Right. And at the same time, has yeah. this other level yeah. of kind of uh, the numinous presen- unknown yeah. around yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And Akiva represents that. Uh, so so Akiva said, yeah. everything is for- foreseen, yet freedom of choice is granted.
2: Right. What? <laughs> okay,
6: so my best take on that... Yes, Betsy? Well, that's the old conundrum of mm-hmm. the Right. Um, Unless you interpret Akiva's choice as saying, well, events have to happen because God said that is my way, but maybe
0: how you react to it is your choice. What if both of these are true <laughs> simultaneously, depending on your point of view?
2: Right.
0: Mm-hmm. right? What if they're just both true? Right. That from one perspective, at the end of your life, you look back and you say, I would never have been the person I would... I am today had not this and this and this and this happened. And who was really making the choices anyway? Mm. Um, you know, how did I, did I plan this? No, or this, is this the result of my choices, my planning, or? Uh, and you wonder. I've said before, my grandfather, a uh, blessed memory, Joseph Schupper. That was he was totally there. He when I talked to him when he was in his 80s. All he'd talk about was the great puppeteer in the sky.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, he said, Here I am. You know, I, I, I can't say I planned, I think I'm responsible for any of this. Because here's a guy born in pale, the Russian Pale, the, uh, the Jewish Pale Settlement in Russia, escapes, you know, to the United States, winds up dying in a, a living and then dying in a hotel, an old people's home in Netanya overlooking the Mediterranean in the Jewish state. Mm-hmm. You know, I, he, he didn't plan that. <laughs> he was this peasant in mm-hmm. Poland, right, just trying to get by. And then all of a sudden, in the course of his life, he's gone all over the world, and he's living in the state of Israel, which didn't, he, he couldn't even have dreamt about when he was born in 1898. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, so he would say, yeah. and yet, it is perfectly clear to all of us that our actions matter. It's perfectly clear that in this moment, it matters what I decide. Yes?
7: If we're invoking our ancestors. Please do. When when my grandmother died, my mother's mother, she said, all my life, I've realized that all my life, I've been trying to please my mother. And in doing that, I've pleased myself. And, of course, I was still in my difficult, very extended adolescence, and I thought uh, that was a horrible thing to say. How could you possibly live your whole life trying to please your mother? No. I'm a little more open to it. But it's the same kind of thing. If If you're trying to live your life according to God's plan you kind of do have free, I don't know, I and mean, there's no answer to this. It's, no answer. It's, it's, zen. it's, it, it's zen.
0: It's Zen. It's Zen except, and, like almost every great mystic. Oh, that's the story of going up to the, uh, the, the four who enter the Pardes. The, there's this famous mystical story in Judaism about four great sages who go on a mystical ascent And one of them is Akiva. Mm. And Akiva is the only one who comes out in wholeness and peace Mm. after witnessing the sort of the heart of reality. But we'll talk about that in in forever. Mm. However, like great mystics, as far as I'm concerned, of every, no matter what cultural background they emerge from, whatever this capacity is that we humans have to experience the glory of creation, they come back from that, and each of us have had our own experiences that are similar, where we know, we don't understand, but we know that there's a benign power at the center creating the universe. And that ultimately, in that largest sense, it's okay. It's okay. And that those mystics come back from these and know that love is the answer. That love permeates as much as consciousness, as much as matter permeates this experience of reality. That's the mystical, that's the mystical prize that people come back with. Yeah. Um, and again, you don't have to be some kind of supernatural warrior in order to have had that experience of conviction. Um, others don't have that. Uh, uh, existentialism was all about, it's, it's meaningless, right? We have to make our own meaning. Uh, I'll call you a second, Susan. Um, so what you need to know about Akiva is that for him, the rest of this phrase the world is judged with goodness yet all depends on the preponderance of good deeds
2: mm.
0: for Akiva it was a matter of truth utter conviction that ultimately the, the universe creation our lives are infused with supported by and surrounded with goodness beyond whether the light blew out or didn't blow out or the chicken was stolen or not stolen or even you're executed in public. Um, And that was what allowed him, that incredible conviction and faith was what allowed him to live the way he did, being able to handle the tragedies of life and the ups and downs with the equanimity he could. So that it's not a neutral playing field for Akiva Uh, so that the world is judged with goodness and yet, just like free choice is granted, yet all is foreseen the world is judged with goodness but it all depends on the preponderance of our good deeds and so so that someone else might someone who's not a religious thinker of this ilk might say, the world depends on our preponderance of good deeds Period, right? I agree with that statement. It's why I can I'm I'm happy conversing with humanists who believe that human beings that the world depends on our good deeds for its sustenance. Right? Because it doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you're doing your good deeds. But from a religious and spiritual perspective, there's this additional support of the experience of the goodness of God. And if you're graced with that experience, it doesn't mean that you then say, "Okay, it's handled. That's a kind of bizarre and bogus religious path, right? Mm -hmm. Then you know that the universe also wants you to participate in that goodness. And that the outcome on one level is dependent on your good deeds. Even if on another level, it will all work out all right in the end, anyway. Um, Susan, and then Gary.
1: Well, um, I don't know if this is, if I should wait to introduce something else I liked on here, but it seems related to this. Which one? It's uh, on page 3. Page 3?
0: Number 13. Oh, it's a nice one, isn't it? (laughs) Rabbi Yochanan posed this question to his disciples. Look about you and tell me, which is the way in life to which a person should cleave. Rabbi Eliezer said, a good eye. Rabbi Joshua said, a good friend. Rabbi Yossi said, a good neighbor. Rabbi Shimon said, foresight which is trying to translate haro'eh et hanolad, someone who can essentially not see the future, but who has that. So four states good. Rabbi Elazar said, a good heart. Said he to them, I prefer the answer of Elazar to yours, for his view includes all of yours. A good heart. Lev tov. Nice. Nice. Uh, Gary, what did you want to say?
3: Well, I, you know, I think the concept of a joke has something to do here too, and I was, I'm trying to remember exactly the thing. But do you remember that scene from The Princess Bride between uh, Wallace, uh, Sheen, and, and Andre the Giant, where 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 he's going to poison? He has two vials, right? And one's going to have poison, and one's going to. And Wallace says. You know, I being the smarter one, you know, know this and know that. huh?
0: His name in the movie is Basini.
3: Anyway, he ends up outsmarting himself and dying. He had yeah. a But um, this, the joke seems to me to be here that he's revealing how small our thinking is. That. Well said. That that it, it seems to me that at the end of the day, it doesn't matter whether we go right or left. You know, it, it, how minuscule the difference of the things we do. It's not that we don't have free, but the larger truth remains immutable and untransformable. Well said. And, and
0: Akiva's reminding us how small, how we, take, we shouldn't take ourselves quite so seriously even while we take ourselves seriously. And
3: it's the Zen thing in, in summation, the, the joke of duality. you know, the, 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 that there is no duality. Our choices are one. Yes.
0: I, yes. Yes, we're, we'll, we'll be trying to wrap our language around this paradoxical experience forever. Thank you. So let's read the other. Uh, oh, oh, go.
6: Yeah, I was wondering if we could do number 20. Well, yeah let's, do, yeah, let's do number 18 first. Okay.
0: There, I have two other Akiva quotes that all appear in sequence. So look at page 5, number 18. Rabbi Akiva taught. Beloved are human beings, for we were created in the image of God. In other words, what an incredible expression of love from the Creator to to make us in the divine image. But a sign of even greater love from God is that human beings were given the awareness that they were created in the divine image. As it is written, in the divine image God made the human being." So Akiva, the way I read that, but i need to hear everybody else's reading, is that Akiva is celebrating self-awareness. Not only is it astonishing that God, for whom he has a, clearly an experience, a pr- totally real, felt experience, of the cosmos uh, being conscious, you know, manifesting creation, uh, How incredible that we got manifested in that divine image, given the power ourselves to create and to destroy, to know and to think. But how much more the fact that we have self-consciousness and we can be aware of the gift of our awareness. For him, that's like the the grand prize, Mm -hmm. the grand prize to be conscious. And to be aware that you're aware, underneath, beyond any anything else, the great gift, the greatest gift we receive, the gift of self-awareness, not an action, but an experience. Uh, that's for me where I keep us coming from. If that makes any sense, it's it's beyond a moral instruction. It's beyond. It's it's something else that it contains it all. And that is good. It's not neutral. It's good. Michael Ra.
8: Yeah, along those lines of awareness and awareness, um, the school of Advaita Vedanta has spawned a lot of people in this generation to talk about to examine non-dual teachings.
0: The the Indian the Hindu schools of thought to examine non-dual teachings.
8: There's a book which I encountered recently, which I highly recommend.
0: Loch Kelly, L-O-C-H, Kelly.
8: Kelly, and his the book is called Shifting Shifting to Freedom. He very much he takes the idea that, the, that our major tool is his capacity to be aware, which we can direct. He normally it's focused on a very small part of his, what, what, what we're talking about, but he has it all systematized in a really, in a really helpful, and user-friendly way, so I highly recommend it. Shift to, shift to
0: Freedom. Shift to Freedom by Loch Kelly. Shift to Freedom by Loch Kelly. Thank you. Um, just a second, Rob. I want to say something. And David. Um, um, oh, it slipped my mind. I'll come back to uh, it. Rob?
3: Uh, to me, the aware- it, I hear you about the awareness being sort of. To me, I don't hear it as the end in and of itself. To me, it seems like an opportunity to serve. And yes. the awareness is what is the spark to... To do.
0: the awareness is our it's our spark to serve to do to uh, impress uh, to do that in the world which is what number 20 is going to express David
8: to me the beauty of this is that God in his love mm-hmm. is giving the human the awareness so he's giving them the Human beings were created in the image of God, but a sign of even greater love
2: mm-hmm.
8: is that human beings were given the awareness that they were created in the divine image. So it's love so it's the, and
0: even greater love from the from God.
8: Right. It's the act of, of loving.
0: It's the act of loving that makes this not neutral. For Akiba, this gift of awareness is a gift of love. And this love inheres in, the, in all of creation. And therefore, if it's a gift of love, then it's not, a, it's not a complex step to understand that then what you do with that awareness has to be informed by that love. Right? Otherwise, you're, otherwise, you are denying its source. Right? You, are, you are an apostate in that, in that way. And you're using your, the power given you clearly At odds with uh, how it was bestowed upon you.
8: He's making you aware of the fact that you're created in the divine image. So Mm -hmm. if you think, if you realize that, then you're going to act in a divine way. Right. It's a
0: sublime (laughs) turn of phrase in the Jewish tradition that humans are created in the image of the divine. What that must—that's not a—that's not a a scientific formula. That's going to evoke something in us. About the potential grandeur we have to to manifest in the world, it's beautiful that way. Um, there, a Gail hand, and then Carol's. Just and then Carol. You, oh, we'll get to you too. I'm sorry. I mean, Deborah, we'll get oh. to you too.
1: <laughs> just, I'm, I'm going to restate what's been said, but it's. And Let's just keep
0: restating it all the time. <laughs> and, and, I mean, this is how we'll remember.
1: Another way of saying it is that that capacity for awareness is what allows us to have an ongoing relationship with the divine.
0: Right. Were we not aware of our relationship, we couldn't have that relationship Uh behind. And I would extend that to. um, Okay, yeah, I'll leave it right there. Very good. Yes?
9: So being given that ultimate gift that we're aware. God is saying, like any parent, basically, is saying, now it's up to you. Mm -hmm. And that's the gift. That's really the gift. And what do I do with that? Mm. I watched that man at the hearing this morning struggle so. And I I don't like what he did, but I really felt sorry for him. Because he really believes in something and everything is coming in on him to to make him question it all, and he's trying to hold fast and do the right thing at the same time.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's,
9: it's not easy to be a human being. It's not easy to be a human being. I think that's why we
0: like courtroom dramas so much, uh, because we are faced with the complexity or a hearing or a because it is the human moral drama sort of. Contained for us, mm-hmm. and I love these things because they make me. What is the right thing to do here? How do? Because life is so complicated. So thank, thank you for mentioning that. What court and is, hmm? what court oh, about? right what now are there, there are hearings going on in the House of Representatives, oh, yeah. uh, and uh, you'll be able to read all about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I don't want to get into the specifics. Rather, I want to think about what it represents to us as we see a person, who of conscience also wrestling. With incredible complexity, right? Um, uh, and, um, and the first thing you said, Carol. Oh, oh, that like a parent, right? Who and and that's the other. It's, there's a reason why in our tradition we think of God as our 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 parent in heaven, right? Uh, because just like, you know, Dan was saying, or I was saying about my grandfather, or Dan was saying about her grandmother, or or you were saying about your dad, or you were saying about your dad, it's like we have this relationship as God's children. You know, God made us, whatever God is. We're God's creatures, we're God's children. And what is expected of us? What's called upon us? How are we going to integrate all of that? So, so big questions, big, big questions. What did you want to say?
6: Oh, I had just asked, uh, number 20 was... Oh yes, that's right, let's go. Very go. complex.
0: Very complex, but here, now remember, here's Akiva, who doesn't think any of this is an accident. We're coming to Rosh Hashanah. The main metaphor of Rosh Hashanah is that God sits on the throne of judgment and our deeds are known. Again, think of courtroom drama. Not a literal one, but the one taking place in our souls all the time. Am I being what I was meant to be. Am I being a good person? We don't have to l- listen to this literally. We are sitting on the judge. Whoever, whatever, we're, it's our time of judgment right now. Where our deeds were recorded in a book. We are in the courtroom before the Melech Hamlachim, before the divine judge. The king in ancient times was also the arbiter of justice. right? Um, And uh, here we are. And Akiva says, everything is alone against the pledge, and a net is spread over all the living. Now, I'm not sure what that metaphor meant initially exactly, but, but I think we can understand this. Our lives have been loaned to us against the pledge, right, of our behavior. Uh, Who shall live and who shall die? That's what we talk about at this time. Uh, A net is spread over all the living. We're not free agents. The shop is open, and the shopkeeper extends credit, right? We are the beneficiaries of unbelievable credit extended to us for every breath we take, for every Day we live for every, it's like, thanks shopkeeper, you know, thanks whoever, we are wealthy beyond imagining, and we didn't earn it, that's right because we have this life, right?
8: Isn't there something we owe in
0: return? Pardon? Isn't there something we owe? We're getting to that. That's where he's. That's where he's going. It's loaned to us. It's not, there's a quid pro quo here. There's an expectation. Something is asked of us in return for this credit of life that's been extended to us. This is the Jewish perspective. It's not a neutral universe. It's not all garbage. It's not this. there's There's a moral calculus that inheres in our souls. We can ignore it. But according to Akiva, because of, I'm telling you, his, his experience and faith, you can't ignore it forever. The bill comes due sometime. We would say in our current terms of karmically. Karma. Right? It's gonna happen. Uh, in the high holidays, it's gonna happen. Right? Are you what are you gonna do? The, the ledger is open, the hand records. Whoever would borrow may do so. You can, but it's co- but it's not, it's it's not that it's not free. It's it's documented. It's it's there's a ledger,
2: hmm.
0: um, and uh, the collectors make their rounds daily, and they exact payment from everyone, with or without consent. Hmm. <laughs> Think psychologically. Is that karma? Uh, This is, I'm telling you, Akiva is on this, teaching this in the Jewish language, okay? That's why I want to show it to you. This is the Jewish way of describing this. Um, And, um, uh, yeah, nothing's free. Not really. Um, Betsy? So what is the pledge? Is that our credit? Our life. Our Let's help me with this. I think Betsy's asking for that. Everything is a loan against the pledge. Help me fill out that language. To
5: live a good life. Our, our, life. our life. No, but what's the
0: pledge? Our, the loan life. is our lives. To live the, to the, live pledge, to live the pledge to live a good life. The pledge to is to live a moral and good life. life. Right. Right, right. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, let me just finish. Uh, the exact payment from everyone <clears throat> with or without consent. Yeah. Now, keep expanding your minds. Right. Think of, I don't know, think of the end of the Mahabharata where everybody's up in heaven having a feast. You know, it's yeah. like, this is also the Jewish view. This is the spiritual view. They have a reliable record, the record people. Mm-hmm. And the verdict ultimately is a just one. Mm-hmm. And everything is prepared for the final feast. Mm-hmm. Think about it. That last line blows my mind, yeah. because ultimately, after all the drama of here's your life what are you going to do with it and you're going to have to pay you, you you will ha- you will owe and there is there are consequences whether you want them or not whether they you are aware of it or not and then ultimately we are one somehow we are all sitting at a great feast beyond duality here's the dualistic language of the shopkeeper and the the the, the collectors the, and beyond all duality somehow there's a great final feast that we'll all in, in, in it, that we we'll all we're all sitting at some on some biggest level of reality.
5: Oh dear, hmm? I think of the Showa, and the people in the. Box. I
0: know, I know. I wish Akiva was here to talk to us about the about the Holocaust. Yeah. I know. What did those people do? Yeah. So in other words, I can't read this in terms of other people's history. I only read it in terms of my life. Mm -hmm. I never try to transpose these kind of meta teachings onto what about all those innocent victims, because it doesn't work. But when I examine my own life in those terms, I know that I'm a person of conscience. I know that when I do something wrong, I pay for it, one way or the other. I know that I have some faith in final outcomes that I can't explain. I can only speak for myself. But in terms of standing before God on the Day of Judgment, on Rosh Hashanah, um, I take this to heart. Am I paying, am I, am I, am I, am I offering enough back for the, for the loan that's been extended that's to question. me, you know? Am I trying to cut corners on my integrity or on my this? Am I, am I, am I? And I want to live. I, I accept the terms of, 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 this, of this big game, the game of living an examined, conscientious, righteous life, knowing that I'll do the best I can, and then I'll have to ultimately rely on God's grace for all the ways that I can fulfill it. But yes, when it comes to the Shoah or any other human catastrophe, I, you have to expand. Think about, think about uh, how um, uh, uh, payment will be exacted from everyone with or without consent. Now think, instead of a personal, think on a species-wide scale. How the earth... If we continue to take without paying back, if we continue to think that the earth is a gift to us for which we owe nothing in return, something just to be exploited like a mother's breast to be sucked dry, right? If that's how we continue to behave, then with or without consent, there will be payment. Will the earth spit us out? Well, we don't know what's going to happen, but I see this true both on my personal scale and, and on, on the this mega. global scale. Yeah. Um,
7: Rabbi, right, yes. just, just about the, Rabbi Yanai would say, the tranquility of the wicked and the suffering of the righteous, these are beyond human understanding.
0: Right. Tell us the page and the number so we can look at it.
7: Uh, seven, page 7, 19.
0: Page 7, number 19. I mentioned the rabbis understood the irony of what, they, of what they were trying to do. If you don't live with some irony, uh, I don't know. Uh-uh. 17. No, 19.
2: 19.
0: 19. Rabbi Yanai Yana would say, the tranquility of the wicked and the suffering of the righteous. These are beyond human understanding.
6: That's exactly really what you were saying. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, but Deborah?
6: The, I'm very moved by the Inherent promise here, though, in in both 18 and 20. Is it 18? No, in 19 and 20. Yes. um, Because the world is judged with goodness. Yes. I find that really touching and meaningful. And then everything is prepared for the final feast. Mm -hmm. Strikes me in the same way that, yeah, again, like a parent, yes, you're accountable. But I still love you. I still I guess, love you. You still get to participate in my bounty. Mm-hmm. I, I find that very moving. What does that mean to you, the world is judged with goodness? That, um, well, you know, I'll tell you, it meant something very specific to me when I was reading it. I am so, I'm yeah. sure like a lot of us, I am so part of myself sometimes <laughs> about how perfect I have to be to be paying this loan. <laughs> um, and yet. Well, so what that meant to me is, you're going to get the benefit of the doubt. Like, there's some loving something that that um, isn't going to say, yeah, but last Tuesday you said something really, you know? Right.
0: That love yeah. is the baseline. Oh. That's what it means. That Akiva's experience of the universe was that love was the baseline, not love versus something but beyond duality is not neutrality beyond duality is oneness and oneness is infused with love and they just go together
7: i'm not perfect but am i good
0: enough am i yeah good enough good enough just and yes in and the eyes that, in the right? eyes of your loving creator you are even though you may get chastised, even though you may get consequences, mm-hmm. all the things you are loved, mm-hmm. those are not contradictions. Mm-hmm. Carol. I hope I
9: can have some clarity here. Um, it seems to me it, it's it's not just about the the end. The everybody dies I, I I've been I don't know if haunted is the right word but I've been thinking a lot just two memories have come up for me I'm for those of you who don't know I'm basically caregiving for my soon-to-be 95 year old husband and he's not in good shape and and I have memory of what the summer we met we were at a cookout or a or something, and he got cold, and at that time I was 55 and he was um, just about to be 70. And I had just bought a a sweatshirt, uh, and it was in my room, and I said, I'll get you the sweatshirt, and I went up and I got him the sweatshirt. And he was kind of amazed that I had done that, and I just remember that. Moment really well, <coughs> and and then this other memory that I have after <coughs> we had been together for a little while, he woke up in the middle of the night and I saw him walking away from the bed. And he seemed like the oldest person I had ever seen, and it terrified me. I never ever talked about this to And. Those two, that, and, and it, what it feels like to me and why it has something to do with this reckoning that I keep coming back to, um, I knew, I knew what I was getting myself into. I knew it as clearly as anybody can know anything and I traded 20 good years And then the, the, the piece that I was going to choose is the next one.
0: Number 21?
9: Number 21.
0: Again, a wise teaching, because it's it's, it's yes and, yeah? Go ahead.
9: But just if, if there's no Torah, there's no common decency. If there's no common decency, there's no Torah. If there's no wisdom, there's no reverence. If there's no reverence, there's no wisdom. If there's no applied knowledge, there's no analytical knowledge. That just blows me away. And if there's no analytical knowledge, there's no applied knowledge. If there's no flour, that's like... like, Chemach.
0: You know, the uh, staples of food.
9: Okay. There is no Torah. There is no Torah. There is no flour. And
0: I... Sorry, that's number five. Page five, number twenty-one, right underneath the other teachings about Rabbi Akiva. Sorry about that.
9: When I, uh, when I think of there being Torah in my life, I think I said last week these years of Thursday afternoons are my, are my study, are my Torah study, and, and. What I learn here influences my behavior in many ways. I wish more, but I do, <laughs> I do as good as I can. Um, me too. But recently, and this is the way that I have gotten, am getting through, I don't know what's going to happen this afternoon. Um, I, I I told you this, my sister had said to me that we, she was taking care of our mother when my mother was in a nursing home near, near where she lives. She just considered it her job. And because I was talking about what a hard time I was having. And, and that I, and I remember thinking, oh my god, I know how much my sister loved my mother, but she could just make it into a job was incredible to me, and it didn't mean that she didn't love her. And I thought, oh, I can do that. I can do a job. And then the next day, I I was speaking to you, and I told you that story, and you said to me, what will you regret? And I said, I would regret not being as kind as I could. And first you said, well, you are being as kind as you could, so you got what you are. <laughs> but the idea of a, a job with kindness, that's what uh, it's not just the job, mm-hmm. but the job with kindness. And I swear to God, the day I started applying that, and it's not always easy, and I don't always do it, but I do it most of the time, I started feeling tender. Towards him again, he smiles more. And sometimes I do it really grudgingly, and it doesn't matter. But it's this—it's this, it's this <coughs> reminder, day after day, week after week, year after year, of what you. I haven't heard you say it in a long time. You used to call the Torah a blueprint for living. A blueprint of, for living. Having a blueprint that is complicated and not always up to understandable, but, it, but these, these pieces come out of it to say, no, go, go that way. If you can, go that way.
0: I suspect there are others here who've been in the crucible of caring for someone who's older dying who had similar revelations.
9: I would imagine so, yeah. but it's not just that. That's a really right that's what's up front for me right now, and that's a really good example. Yeah,
0: that's why I called it a crucible because it's so clear. It's like uh, here's your job, how are you gonna do it? You know, but life is our job too.
5: Exactly. Uh-huh. Exactly. The, those you. those were the words that I expressed to myself after my husband died. Why couldn't I have been kinder? And that haunts me still.
0: Oh, God, Esther. Um, I'm sorry it haunts you.
6: Yeah, it does. Mm -hmm. So that's what, if you look at the part that says that God judges with goodness, Mm -hmm. I I think it means um, that you're being held with compassion even for those times when you've been a disappointment to yourself. Mm-hmm. and If someone in this room hasn't been a disappointment to themselves, sometimes I'd be, real, I'd be really yeah. shocked.
0: And, and let me add to that, that let's look at the arc of the high holidays. It's considered to be the days of judgment. And what happens at the end of Yom Kippur? Where we we're forgiven, Hmm. we get to go for another year, because that's a perfect way of saying everything. Of that's a perfect way of of a perfect illustration of this principle, that yes we're being judged, yes it matters, and yes we're loved and forgiven, Um, and can therefore go on. Um, And it doesn't all make sense. Wait a minute. You know, it's like Jonah. It's why we read Jonah on keep Kippur afternoon. Remember, Jonah is used as the sort of the 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 uh, the, the fall guy, the example yeah. of, uh, of of how not to understand this. Because uh, God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh and tell that sinful city to repent, and Jonah says, "I won't do it because uh-huh. if they repent, you'll just forgive them and they get to go on living. Uh-huh. Come on, where's justice, God?" And he runs away, gets swallowed by the fish, you know, goes, finally he says, okay, I'll go. He goes, he repents, they all repent, including the king. And Jonah then goes outside the city to to see if they're going to be destroyed or not by God. And when they're not destroyed, God says to him, why are you so angry, Jonah? And uh, that's the question why are you so angry Jonah and then God goes on these are my people they're, uh, you know I love them they said they're sorry it's okay <laughs> and that goes right on Yom Kippur afternoon and Jonah's I just love the story of Jonah yeah. the question to Jonah is God says to Jonah why are you so angry oh boy
10: <laughs> well,
0: um, more hints. Uh, Barb, then Gary.
10: Well, I'm glad you brought that up, and you did, because I was thinking about Yom Kippur and these days leading up to Yom Kippur. And I think, well, most people that I know are hard enough on it ourselves. I mean, we already judge ourselves, and we do it on a daily or weekly or whatever basis. But the week leading up to Yom Kippur and Yom Kippur, um, sometimes I think it has to happen more often. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway it's 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 it we are like you said we, we are forgiven and we want to atone and we've yes we made mistakes uh, but if in our heart we're basically good this goodness that um, we had imbued into ourselves you know and hopefully we keep it going um, I don't know It it this is this is I mean I wrote an email uh, recently to uh, half a dozen so friends of mine, which I only do once a year, and I do it, I do it this time of year and just to reman- remind, even if we haven't been in touch all year long, just to talk about and mention things that have happened and things we should be doing towards looking forward to in terms of what we should think of, like you've said. What, what do we think about when we think about what we'll do next year? Or what we reflect about on what's happened this year and what, what a difference a year makes. Um, so uh, it's just, you know, time to pause. And, uh, I don't
0: know. We're pausing, that's right. This class was spiritual wisdom for the new year. That's what we're pausing for. Yes. Thank you. Gary?
3: Yeah, I just wanted to address, I think, Bobby's question about how do you apply these in the face of the greatest tragedies like, like the Holocaust. And again, I want to remind uh, the class of what Frankel has to say.
0: Yeah, that's important. Viktor Frankl, let's just say, again, who he is. He was a, a psychiatrist, a Jewish psychiatrist, who wound up in the concentration camps, survived, and wrote a book called right. Man's Search for Meaning, about what he, you know, what, what he learned and what his experiences were. Yeah.
3: And what Frankl says, essentially, is that life inside the camps wasn't that different from life anywhere else. That, um, Those on the outside who never experienced it think of it as one horror story. And he said, well, of course it was horrible. He said, but the ones who survived best and longest were the one who not only kept their own moral standards intact, but who saw the guards and the system in various shades and colors too. The one who gave you a cigarette when no other guard was looking. The one who gave a piece of meat the one who says your wife is going to be OK, the one you can cultivate a relationship with, and manipulate for your own uh, 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 long-term good, so you'll be in the, the right mm-hmm. work side. Mm-hmm. And it, in a sense, it wasn't that different, he said. And if you retain that sense of, 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 of this is just another part of the human experience, you had a greater chance of surviving. I'm really mm-hmm. fascinating.
0: Well said, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Kay?
11: Um, I had a question. Um, I wanted to ask how you define the divine image in which human beings were created, because um, when when I whenever I thought of we are created in God's image, those words to me implied a basic goodness. Mm-hmm. Which I think we've been talking about um, and I know that there are contradictions and paradoxes, but um, last week in in relation to an aside, you said that you definitely believe that power corrupts, which which to me implies that um, that if people are given the opportunity, that they'll act in a dishonorable way. I, you know, kind of different than power. I, I, you know, unless maybe it's more accurate to say power can corrupt. Uh, yes, yeah. power, power can, can corrupt. Power yes. can, okay. <laughs> okay. Good. Okay. Because I was like, Ugh. I mean, do, do you know what? You know, I was like, well, that's kind of contradicts. that, okay, so. Good. <laughs>
0: Power can corrupt. Power
11: can corrupt. Okay, I feel matter
0: now. <laughs> good, good. We're, let's not talk more about the divine image thing right now, uh, uh, other than to say that the beauty of that potent metaphor is all the different ways we can take it. Um, uh, I'll say this much, that if we're created in the divine image, does that mean uh, that we have the capacity to create, and destroy? Mm-hmm. Apparently. We do. Mm-hmm. If, and we do. if we're made in the divine image, does that mean um, that, um, uh, um, how should I say, uh, that we have at our essence the infinite? That there's something about us, despite our finite lives, that touches infinity? If we are made in the divine image, does that mean that um, uh, that we have consciousness? That now we're starting to understand that other species have their own levels of, of, of utterly legitimate consciousness, mm-hmm. but we have this capacity? Does it mean that we have the capacity for language, which is astonishing, astonishing, uh, alchemy, uh, being able to turn experience into something else, can we, that we transmute experiences, that we can take the, 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 uh, the, um, the building blocks of experience and then transmute them into something else, creativity. Uh, but it also clearly means, in the Jewish tradition, that if we're made in the divine image, that every human being, and this is where it's a moral calculus very clearly within Judaism, because we're made in the divine image, every human being has infinite value. And, can, and human beings cannot be treated as commodities. And this is the fundamental, this is the fundamental story of Pharaoh and the Exodus. Right? Pharaoh denies the divine image that inheres in all the slaves. And, uh, and so, it's all of it. It's just a beautiful, beautiful sort of um, core metaphor of Judaism that's there to be contemplated. What does it mean? That is my, I think that's worth an, an answer. Because no, it doesn't mean just this or just It's and, 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 and. and. Mm-hmm. Susan?
4: Well, if we're being the divine image, does that mean that God is also selfish and angry? And like some of the qualities we have that aren't so wonderful, are those qualities of God too? Mm-hmm. Good question.
0: In the Torah, in the Torah, God clearly has every possible emotion, mood. You know, yeah, maybe. And we could also say, you know, that we've created God in our image because that's all we've got is our experience. So I like to depersonalize it. For me, it's, a, it's not about uh, anthropomorphism and it's not, because for me the, that statement is also more sublime than just some quid pro quo of uh, did we create God or did God create us? No, I think that uh, in terms of the stories we tell, we created those stories. But I still, I'm with Rabbi Akiva. For me, I'll never be able to prove it. It's, I'll, I, but it's just There inside me, there is a benign, creative, conscious power in the universe that I cannot describe, nor uh, can I, uh, that that, um, uh, out of which our universe and our lives spring. And I'm a person of faith in that regard. Not faith in outcomes per se, but faith in the underlying and inherent oneness. And a love that inheres in creation. Um, I'm grateful for that experience, because it, it it's sort of it gives me a it allows me to it allows me to endure this ridiculous, confusing, miserable life in so many ways that we have. Right? Not to mention that we're all going to die. Right?
4: That doesn't bother me at all. Good. Good. I'm actually. I'm so grateful for life.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so uh, again, uh, it's important for me not to confuse stories we tell with underlying experiences that we're telling the stories about. The story, the Torah is a story, a story humans told to capture in stories, because we're storytellers, some experience that we have of the universe of being alive. Diane? And then David.
7: Many things that we've discussed today remind me of a prayer that we read. I, I think it's the very, maybe the first night of Rosh Hashanah, the, the last line of the prayer is, thank you for it all, for it all.
0: Yes, that's in our Rosh Hashanah Makser. It's a prayer written by Rabbi Richard Levy, who wrote a lot of the English in that book. Thank you for it all, for it all. Mm-hmm. If we can say that, we're in a good space. I would say Akiba is trying to get us to that space. That's what I would say about Akiba. Um, David?
8: If, um, if we can turn the page. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> you mean? <laughs> Which one?
0: On page 9. Page 9. Number 24. Oh, number that was 24. Nine. That's, my, that's that was mine.
5: mine. That's the last one. You got Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: Page 9, number 24. Ben Bagbag, and we don't know if this is a real person or not, or if it's some kind of acronym, or who knows, because we never hear about him anywhere else except in this quote. Talk. Turn it and turn it, for everything is in it. Scrutinize it, grow old and grain it. Do not depart from it, for there is no better portion in life than this. So this is the last, next to last entry of chapter five. Chapter six of is it like an appendix of of book. So the editor, back in the third century, wanted to end with this one, um, referring to this activity of Torah study. Yeah, that's Torah study being not just reading the words on the page, but doing what we're doing. Right. We're this is Torah study. It's, every, it's like kiva, like, like every, every black ink on white parchment with every little curlicue, that's just there to open the door into the study of Torah, mm-hmm. Te- the teaching. Torah means teaching in English, the Torah of life. right? So speaking of this activity, which in the Jewish tradition is centered around the Torah scroll, the physical artifact through which we enter these realms of discourse. Ben Bagbag Torah, hafokhba vafokhba. Turn it and turn it. In other words, think of a, 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 a many-faceted gem. The, the, um, the traditional saying is the Torah has 70 facets or 70 faces. Because 70 in the rabbinic ancient in the Torah tradition is means is, is the full complement. Right? It's 10 times 7. 7 being a magic number in Judaism, which is a full cycle. And 10 times 7, 70, so all of it. So turn it and turn it, for everything is in it. Scrutinize it. Grow old and gray in it. Do not depart from it. For there is no better portion in life than this. Um, So, you know, in um, hopefully, God willing, in December, um, I have a book I've been working on for several years that's coming out of Torah commentaries. It's at the publishers Mm now. That was quite a job. And um, it's called Turn It and Turn It. I decided to call the book Turn It and Turn It. So um, I'll let you know when we have a party to release the book. Yes.
5: I, I also chose that. And I chose that because in my life, I have known people who have dedicated their lives to a central idea. And, um, and it motivates them. It gets them up in the morning. It gets them out at, during the day meeting with people. I mean, it's the thing that, is, that gives meaning to their life. And um, it's it's an amazing it's an amazing thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Uh,
5: did you bring it up, David? I I brought
8: it
0: up. Yeah. And, and then I'll have okay, you Jen All right. Sorry. It is
8: it is something very beautiful that you can do with just about anything. Yeah. Right. Once mm-hmm. you get into it. Exactly. You can turn it, you can look at right. it.
0: Person. Okay. Mm-hmm. if you're an entomologist yeah. and you study insects right. you look at it from there you keep studying and yeah. you you it's your pathway into prayer glory knowledge yeah. infinity yeah. wonder insight if you do it with the Torah you know, if you do it with your relationship yes. with the beloved anywhere you Anywhere where you can invest like that, fully.
8: It's, it's, it's the, the beauty of life. It's the beauty of living.
0: Yes.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. Isn't and, that lovely? Yeah. Isn't that beautiful?
5: Mm. And only you can give it to yourself.
0: Right. And if you're a generalist, mm-hmm. and you say, oh, I never found my passion. That's mm-hmm. not true. Yeah. You know, everybody has a different. everybody has a different learning style. Everybody has a different focus in life. Some people are, la- yeah, look at your astrology chart, right? Some people are like laser focused and other people are wandering from thing to thing. It's okay. It's okay. Um, uh, Jeff. Okay. So thank you for so waiting. It's okay.
8: This always perplexed me. It's on page nine, number 17.
0: We're on page nine. Yeah, 17. Oh, perplexed oh. you. I always thought of it as a, just a cute one.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand one of the... Uh,
0: Okay, I'll read it aloud. There are four types among those who study with the sages. Remember, this is a book. I'll go back to the beginning. This collection is organized for the people who are studying with the sages, right? It's like you've entered the academy, and so they're talking about students. The sponge, the funnel, the strainer, and the sifter. The sponge absorbs everything. The funnel, in one end and out the other.
2: (laughs) It's
0: <laughs> <laughs> The strainer passes the wine and retains the dregs. Oh. Oh. You know, that's too bad. The sifter removes the chaff and retains the fine flour. Mm. So, which kind of student do you have this year? You know, <laughs> what kind of learner are you? So, that's the only way I always okay. read it. Um, maybe it goes deeper. Well, just the learning styles. Learning styles, right. Unfortunate if you're a funnel. Yeah. Right.
2: It's like the one, it's like the one before it. It's funny. There
0: are four types of students. Yeah. One who is quick to understand but quick to forget, his gain is cancelled by his loss. Yeah. One who is slow to understand and slow to forget, his loss is cancelled by like his, his gain. gain. One who is quick to understand and slow to forget, this is a wise person. One who is slow to understand and quick to forget, this one has bad fortune. That's all. Okay. I just wanted to include those in it. There's a whole bunch of them. I only included a few of yeah. them. Sasha.
4: Well, I just want to say something that I um, considered earlier today. It's just sort of a revelation about the word knowledge. Mm-hmm. And as we're talking about acquiring knowledge through Torah or what have you, knowledge is the ledge upon which you leave, you're, you're, you're open to something that is not known. Oh. The knowledge, Ledge. It's like there's this place where you go, have to go into the mystery, where you have to go oh, into not familiar. knowing. Go into not knowing into by standing into, on that ledge. Yeah. Uh-huh.
0: Beautiful.
2: And beautiful.
4: that's sort of like what Akiva's inspiring in me, that there is that ledge upon which we don't know.
0: That ledge upon which we don't know that we have to step mm-hmm. forward from. Yeah. That's a Thank you. You're Thank welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Speaking so, so I'll go back to Akiva. Did I see another hand? I'll go back to Akiva for a moment and then we'll go towards the very end as a way of wrapping up because I'm glad you turned us towards this, towards this one. Um, again, I want to repeat that um, that Akiva is of the complete conviction that there is a loving, unified, creative center to the universe from which we come and to which we return. But while in that classic teaching about unity and duality, oneness and duality, while we are in this separate expression of that oneness, um, we are always in relationship to it. our expression of our lives is a is a, price, is a gift given to us that we, have, we owe payment on. And the payment we owe is through our act of righteousness, justice, morality, caring, love, responsibility. Right? That's, that's the currency of this loan and our pledge.
7: And if we don't pay?
0: If we don't pay? Uh-huh. If we don't pay there are consequences. And we can't even avoid those consequences. Um, and uh, yet, in the end end result, in the final feast, the love will still be there. Right? I think that's a good way of describing what this religious perspective is that is also, for me, truth of my experience. Um, and as I say, in the by and by, I'll find out. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: or not. In the mean, or,
0: or not. Well, I'll find out, or I'll find out that I don't get to find out. Exactly. <laughs> but in the meantime, it this animates this this animates Judaism, mm-hmm. and that's not to say anything about other traditions. They have the no way of describing what to me are very similar things, mm-hmm. but it animates Judaism. Gail,
1: I think in, in hearing this. I at least have to remember the quote that Diane pointed to. So that the idea that the verdict is just is true in that state of being in that totality, the non-dual state. Right. But in this state, I think the only word I could use is the verdict is inscrutable. Inscrutable. Because it is not clear that the the outcome, the results as one looks at someone's life, is necessarily fits who they've been.
0: Let me give my favorite biblical example, which you've heard me talk about many times. Joseph. Joseph is an arrogant kid. His brothers hate him. As a result of his cockiness, uh, they want to kill him. They don't kill him. They throw him in a pit. He goes down to Egypt. He's a slave. Then he gets in, becomes the chief steward of somebody's household, and the wife claims that he wants to rape her. He gets thrown in jail again. He languishes there for two years. He gets forgotten. Then Pharaoh picks him out because he can interpret dreams, blah, blah, blah. And when you tell the Joseph story, Joseph has every right to conclude that life is complete crapshoot and that he's just going to get what he can out of it. Right? Right? And so, when he becomes the second in command to Pharaoh, it's like, okay, I'm going to make hay while the sun shines, because I've been down and I've been up. Being up is better. I'm going to like, do what I can, you know. Um, and instead, when his brothers show up, and they're the ones who, tried, who threw him into slavery, and he finally reveals himself to them, and he says, Do not, you may have meant me harm. This is the line from the Torah but God meant it for the best so that I could be here to save your lives when the time came. That's
6: what Joseph says.
0: And I forgive you. And so Joseph decided to interpret his life, whether it's true or not, he decided to interpret his life as if everything had happened to him for a purpose so that he could manifest something good. Yeah? You can argue with me?
7: No, but... The only Dvar Torah I've ever done in my life was about that story when yes. Joseph's brothers came. Do another soon. I'm thinking about it. Yeah. Anyway, um, so he's when they first show up, he is. They don't recognize him, and he is not nice to them no. at all. He tricks them, he scares them, he treats them very badly. He's quite
0: a human being.
7: He's quite a human being, right? So the point of my Dvar Torah was, at each, and a lot of people don't agree with me about this. So feel free. <laughs> um, at each moment each of us is doing the best we can at that moment it doesn't mean we're doing a good job
2: mm-hmm.
7: and like when you were saying that you re- you regret not being kinder yeah at each moment right. I mean you can yeah. do better in the next moment mm-hmm. but what you did is what you did you that right. was the best you could do at that moment. That's right. And Joseph, mm-hmm. with all of his history and his resentment and all the down he's been, tr- tricking his brothers, that was the best he could manage at that moment. Yep. Yeah. Then he opens his heart to them mm-hmm. and does what we would consider better. He goes on to do a lot more bad stuff, yep. but... <laughs> <laughs> yep. Human. Yep. Human.
0: Thank you. So that's why we have the high Holidays to evaluate our behavior over the past year, to make amends where we can, and to recommit to doing better, um, with the assumption, even though there's all the fear and trembling associated with the high that we're actually going to get another chance. Um, uh, I, I saw a hand. Who was it? Kay? Um,
11: something I was thinking about when you were talking and when we've all been talking about um, what's just and when when bad things befall good people mm-hmm. um, I think maybe something that that all of us can relate to is um, if something the difference between how you feel when something bad happens in your life but you you know it's not your fault you know you haven't done anything to deserve it or cause it and so you can relax a little bit you can accept it more and and and, and the way you you even in death you even in, even in death, caused in an unjust way, if you feel that you've tried your best to live a good life, you can accept that death and the difference. If, if, if you have. A guilty conscience. If you have, if you know you don't, even if you know something good happens and you know you don't deserve it, and we've all had that experience too. Something good happened to us, and we, you know you can't enjoy it as much when you know you don't deserve it. So there's, it is beyond what happens to us. It's also what we know in our hearts that helps us appreciate the goodness, not maybe feel the badness so strongly and mm. accept it more. And Thank you. So I Thank think you. there's value in that. Mm.
0: Thank you. Thank you. So let's turn to page 10 and we'll conclude with these last two because this is, the, this is like the, 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 the a coda to the chapter five. Rabbi Josh, I'm on number two on the back page. Rabbi Joshua ben Levi taught, it is written, and the tablets are the work of God, and the writing is God's writing engraved on the tablets. Okay, this is just a quote from Exodus about the tablets that Moses brings down from Mount Sinai. And the word engraved in Hebrew is charut. Okay? And the way the rabbis play with the Torah is they play with pronunciation. So they say, so Rabbi Joshua says, don't read charut, that the words were engraved on the tablet. Read cherut, which means freedom. So same spelling, just change the letters. And remember, just change the vowels. And remember that in the Torah scroll that these rabbis were working from, there were no vowels. So they took the liberty and they felt the liberty. If you ever looked in the Torah scroll, there's no vowels in it. Um, uh, the vowels were invented many centuries later as a way to uh, systematize and regularize grammati- the grammar of Hebrew. But in the Torah, no vowels, nor in the Talmud. So um, so you can read engraved, charut, as cherut, freedom. For no person is truly free unless they engage in the study of Torah. So with a pun, which is the Jewish way, the traditional Jewish way of doing this, Rabbi Joshua B. levy summarizes that the unexamined life is not really worth living. Right? Who the one who said that uh, Well, I don't know. Who said that? The unexamined she life. Huh? Plato. That's right. That without studying, without engaging in this study, of what it means to be a human being you're not really free mm. without recognizing that you have true responsibility in return for the gift of life that's been given you that's where real liberation happens spiritual liberation because you become completely at peace with accepting and embracing that you're here to serve mm. right then you're you're so so I just love that quote that as any, I would think. I would think, as any spiritual quester would say, they're searching for a kind of liberation. Um, but it's not a liberation from uh, responsibility. On the contrary, it's a liberation from the the the, from the ego, from self-centeredness, from all of being driven and around, being the slaves of our own appetites all the time. You know, it's like there's a different thing that we're after here. I just like that one a lot. And then it ends. They end with this overarching blast. Everything that God, this is the very last entry, everything that God, blessed be, created in God's world, God created it solely to express God's glory, as it is written. Everything that is called by my name, I created it, I formed it, and I made it for my glory, from Isaiah. And it is further written, the infinite God shall reign forever and ever. So that, think of Akiva now. We are playing the game of being human beings. Right? And it's a holy game. It's the only game in town. <laughs> right? This is it. We, we got planted here, and here we are. And we lose ourselves in the minutiae of the game. Who's winning? Who's losing? Did I do the right thing? Did I do the wrong thing? Is it, how am I supposed to do this? Why, why is they, why, you know, anger, resentment, love, fury? Yes. But remember that actually everything that's going on is an expression of holy, 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 divine glory. Um, a perspective that we only get to like have intimations of most of the time. Um, but when we end on Yom Kippur we chant we end with the chant Elohim, which means the infinite is God Baruch kvod baed, um, through time and space your glory shines forever and ever mm-hmm. Shema Yisrael, Adonai we say it over and over again at the end of Yom Kippur and then we blow the shofar mm-hmm. we're, we're, that's the purpose of worship it, it often gets lost because we don't know what we're trying to enact mm-hmm. but we want to take all of this absolutely crucial activity of living, and remember that it's all part of glory, holy, holy, holy. Um, I also find that very um, expansive for me to continue to say, like Akiva saying, everything is free will is granted and everything's foreseen. Yes, I'm going to keep doing what I do and I'm going to do it with as much integrity and as much commitment, as much enthusiasm, as much as I can. And at the same time, I'm part of, a, I'm a part of this glorious creation that's ready for me to participate in at every moment. And they're both true. And may all of these countless words I and we have shared point our hearts in the right direction. Amen. 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 Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. All made. Amen. The awe of it